If you haven't figured out already, the new season is here. That whole 12 and 4 record, that whole schedule, you know, those three or four months, forget about it. This is where the real season starts. Welcome to another postseason edition of the Strictly Stripes podcast. Muhammad Ahmad and Andrew Gillis bringing you your daily dose of all things Strictly Stripes. Mike Nislik has a day off and really the one biggest thing, one of the biggest things looking at this, are we going to see the former MVP? Are we going to see the dirty bird, the one that flocks above everyone, Lamar Jackson? Signs seem to be pointing against that as Adam Schefter from ESPN and NFL Network's Ian Rappaport have pretty much made it plainly that he doesn't appear ready for this Sunday. He did not practice Wednesday. We're saying this on a Wednesday. I'd be amazed if he practices much, if at all, later this week. Um, it's also not looking so good for Tyler Huntley. Uh, he was present in practice for the media viewing portion, uh, but he was not throwing, which is another concern because he's, with, uh, I believe it's tendonitis in his shoulder, which is why they put Anthony Brown in to start on Sunday last week when these teams played less than a week ago, really four days ago. So, uh, you know, we, we talked about our post-game, Andrew. We talked about it on uh, on Tuesday, Monday going into Tuesday. You know, the Ravens' offense was a little vanilla. Uh, I think that was one thing that stood out. Um, They had some good plays, obviously, with, like, Isaiah Likely, for example, because they really have no wide receivers right now. But, I mean, you've got no Lamar. You've got no Tyler. I mean, is this pretty much like – can we just can this game and say, all right, Bengals by however much – on to the next one, or are we just jump into conclusions here? Yeah, that's jumping to a big conclusion. Um, I, well, for, so first off, I think it's jumping to a conclusion to say that Tyler Huntley is not going to play. Um, you know, he was held out of practice um, in terms of the throwing portion that the media saw out there. Um, but, I mean, as soon as the doors close, they might be throwing him in and he might be, you know, doing his – you know, mostly full allotment of work. So we'll have to kind of see how the week progresses with Huntley. Um, But again, like this is, it's a unique week because I don't think you can look at the Ravens as the threat that they might've been a month and a half ago. I mean, you're talking about a team that doesn't have Lamar Jackson. And when he's not in the lineup, that's obviously a huge loss, but Gus Edwards is in concussion protocol. One of their cornerbacks who actually uh, he got sick at uh, over the weekend and he was in the hospital. Um, Brandon Stevens, uh, he was yep. out of practice today due to an illness. Uh, there are a few other guys that are kind of fighting through some stuff. So, like, it's, it's not the team that you would expect. But uh, the Ravens defense is, I mean, with Roquan Smith, they're a top five, top seven-ish level defense and somewhere in that kind of ballpark, however you want to put it. And they're really, really effective at at what they can do. I mean, you saw it at the second half, like the Bengals kind of had trouble moving the ball. Now I think that they kind of kept some things vanilla. I think the Ravens did as well, kind of understanding, okay, the Patriots are losing. This is the way that this is probably going to go. We're probably going to be back here in a week. So to me, um, you know, I, I think you're really going to get the Ravens' best effort, obviously, because it's a playoff game. But the Bengals just beat them. You've got kind of all these comments, you know, Jamar Chase talking about, um, you know, the extra shoves that he gets from Roquan Smith and all of that. Like, this is the Ravens are going to be fired up. And, like, 
if you're the Ravens, like you have to look at this, you know, objectively in the last six weeks, you've scored 10, 16, three, 17, 13, and 16 points. They're not going to show up to the playoff game and say, okay, well, you know, whatever works is going to, we'll try and figure it out. Like they're going to have some stuff drawn up. Um, Whether or not it's going to work, I don't know. But like if I were the Bengals, I'd be on high alert this week for, for trick plays, for fake punts, for all that kind of stuff to try and flip the field, take possessions out of Joe Burrow's hands and, and keep the Ravens offense on the field because they haven't really been able to produce. So I, I think this game is going to be closer than it is. We'll talk about predictions on Friday. Um, but the line is at like eight and a half right now. And I would not, even if Anthony Brown starts, I think eight and a half is too many. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, offensively, they're very banged up to say the least. I mean, you mentioned Gus Edwards, um, who had a head injury against the Bengals. He left that game early Sunday. Uh, A big one I saw on their injury report is Ronnie Stanley, uh, their best lineman. Um, He did not practice. I I, I forgot what the injury was or what the condition was, but he did not practice. That'll be something to monitor in the week uh, without declaring anything, obviously. And I don't say this to declare like, oh, Lamar's not going to play or Tyler's not going to play. You're right. I don't mean to jump the gun. I just mean to say that it's not looking good for either one. It definitely, we could almost certainly say we're probably not going to see Lamar. Like it sounds 80% sure we're not. Tyler Huntley, I don't want to say it's a toss-up because like you said, he practiced, but he didn't throw. Maybe he'll throw tomorrow and Friday and John Harbaugh will just kind of make a decision game time. Like that could be a game time decision. So like, I don't want to jump to that, but the one thing that's interesting to me is I've heard this kind of in the Bengals locker room and I've heard this, you know, amongst people kind of talking about what's going to happen if, you know, we don't see Lamar Ty- or or if we don't see Lamar, but we see Tyler Huntley, like Lou Anirmo said this, Mike Hilton said this, and it's that, you know, he's kind of a Lamar light, but you listed out the numbers of like their scoring. They're not good. I mean, I guess Lamar Light isn't like even 60% of Lamar, but like how Lamar Light is Tyler Huntley? Like, I'm not saying you should sleep on this guy by no means because they're in the playoffs for a reason, but is he really Lamar Light? I I don't know if I agree with that. No. um, I mean, he throws for, you know, almost 70 yards fewer per game. Yeah. Uh, His quarterback ratings lower, his QBR is lower. Um, Doesn't throw, he throws the ball, uh, quote unquote, more efficiently. Uh, he has a better completion percentage than Lamar, uh, but he also throws more picks uh, in terms of percentage of his uh, percentage of his throws, uh, throws less touchdowns, uh, net yards per attempt is lower, adjusted yards per attempt is lower, yards per completion is lower. Um, but really where you see the difference is in what they can do running the ball. Um, Lamar Jackson, he was averaging over 60 yards a carry or 60 yards a game, excuse me, uh, 6.8 yards a carry, whereas Tyler Huntley was just down at 22. So you're talking a 40 yard difference. So basically you're talking like a 70 yard difference in passing and like a 40 yard difference in running. Um, that's not exactly what you want. Uh, Tyler just doesn't have the juice that Lamar does. And, and I think that that is what, and obviously we don't cover the Ravens, so it's made it kind of hard to kind of see what's going on. But I think that is kind of what's made this injury thing kind of lashed because who knows? I mean, who knows what his knee look like, looks like uh, just to the naked eye? Who knows what it looks like structurally right now? Um, 
but the things that make Lamar Jackson unique and the things that make him one of the most special players in the National Football League is what he can do with his legs and what he can do moving around and kind of how he directs the offense. It's truly an 11-man game. I think DJ Reader said that. It's truly an 11-man rushing attack. When you don't have Lamar, that changes, and Lamar obviously uh, is a more efficient thrower than Huntley. So, yeah, I mean, I I guess in the same way that – I guess in the same way that Tyler Huntley's not afraid to run the ball, um, that he's Lamar light, but uh, I, I, I just Lamar is on such a different plane of athleticism and talent as a quarterback that I, I don't even I, I don't even consider that a, a comparison. I mean, <laughs> this is gonna sound kind of harsh, but like if if you want to get into real comparisons, other than the term "quote unquote" Lamar light, I think of Malik Willis when I think of Tyler Huntley, like. You you probably saw that game when the Titans played Kansas City on Sunday Night Football, and Malik was just running around not knowing where to throw the ball. Like I don't know if he's that bad. Like I'll give Tyler some credit, but like I think more of Malik Willis before I think of Lamar. Like like I'm sorry to say that, and I'm not I'm not saying that that means that you know Lou Anarumo's job is going to be easy on Sunday because I mean this John Harbaugh you're going against, you got the trick plays, you got you know, things that they probably haven't seen before, even on film. Cause like, that's just kind of what the playoffs are like, especially with a guy like Harbaugh, you know him better than me, but you know, I mean, let's, let's kind of narrow it down though. Let's say we're in the worst case scenario for the Ravens. where certainly no Lamar Jackson and definitely no Tyler Huntley. You're left with Anthony Brown, who that game Sunday against the Bengals, that was his first ever career start. Brent Huntley, who has been on their practice squad twice this season. Well, he was on the practice squad in the summer, was released, was on the Saints for like not even a month, came back last month. So he's on their practice squad. Um, They probably could call him up this weekend, depending on what happens with the other two. But, I mean, Brent Hundley's on his sixth team in six seasons and his second stint with the Ravens in less than a year. Um, I think it's a very bleak situation when you look at that, but as vanilla as the Ravens were with Anthony Brown. And as much as they probably kept some cards to their vest because it was just kind of a week 18 game where, you know, they were just fighting for a coin toss. Like, is there maybe something from Anthony Brown that we're just not seeing that maybe we're just like trashing on him right now. And he's just listening to this. And on Sunday, he's going to come out and say, what was that? And he just pulls something just out of the bag where we're just like, what does happened? Like, what do you think? Are we just no, fooling ourselves? Um, no, I, I mean, you're talking about a guy who threw 44 passes, which was 39 more than he had ever thrown in the NFL uh, entering entering Sunday. Um, he was an undrafted guy who um, has played in two games. Like, to me, this is, you know, this isn't really a situation where you can – expect a ton out of out of a guy like Anthony Brown um like if if Anthony Brown does start for the Ravens uh that is very much a don't screw up situation um you know basically if you know you know you tell Anthony if you throw two picks we're gonna get our asses handed to us like it's not that (laughs) to me like this is you know if Anthony Brown's the quarterback um you really need you need some turnovers on defense. You maybe need a special teams or a defensive score or a turnover that puts you in good scoring position. Like you need you need things to go your way. You need 
J.K. Dobbins to rush for 100 yards. Whatever it is, you know, you kind of need some other stuff to happen. Um, obviously, with Tyler Huntley, um, you know, Huntley came in in uh, 2020. Um, so he, he's been with the Ravens for three years. So you kind of – you feel more comfortable with Huntley just kind of giving him more um, than you would Anthony Brown just because Huntley's been there. Huntley's kind of – you know, he's played games. He started games last year. He played in games in 2020. Um, you know, you, you – you, if Huntley plays, you're not going to feel like you have a guy starting who, you know, might freak out in the moment. Um, Anthony Brown, who knows? I mean, he, he started one NFL game and now you're going to turn around and ask him to start a playoff game. Like that's a lot to ask of a guy. So I I think with Huntley, um, you can do a little bit more, but yeah, with it, with Anthony Brown, it's if, if he is the starter, um, it's basically don't screw up because we need you to manage this game really, really well. And, you know, I, managing a game is a skill. Like, don't get it wrong. Like, Joe Burrow has to manage games and Patrick Mahomes oh, yeah. has to manage games. Like, managing games is a skill. I think some people kind of get it twisted sometimes that oh, know, yeah. oh, the term game manager is, is a negative connotation and things like that. But I think in this case, uh, you're basically asking a guy not to screw up. Yeah, I mean, like, I think the game manager term has such a stigma to it that it's like, oh, yeah, you just don't screw up. And it's like, that's the point. <laughs> like, don't screw up. Like, yeah, I mean, it might be the bare minimum, but would you rather have that or someone screwing up? Like, I think of Peyton Manning, you know, his last year in the league with the Denver Broncos. And I think we could say he was a game manager. I mean, I understand that was probably his worst season since his rookie year, which was the year I was born, funny enough. But at the same time, like, he still did enough to make sure that they didn't lose the Super Bowl to the Carolina Panthers, who were the best team in all of football that year on both sides, record-wise. So, yeah, that, I like how you said that, Andrew. That's a good clarification. I kind of get tripped up on that, too, sometimes of, oh, he's just a game manager. Well, yeah, he's a game manager. Like, you yeah, still got to stop yeah, him. Sometimes, like, sometimes you got to manage the game and not screw up. And, yeah, and, and like, like, sometimes that's all you need. And that's like with the way the Ravens defense is playing. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm not going to look at this and say, you know, hey, you know, Tyler Huntley or Anthony Brown has to go out there. And if, if you don't hang 27, you're going to lose. Like, no, Ravens defense has been really good lately. Like you force one or two. Ter- like it's very easy to imagine a scenario this week where, you know, the Ravens take the ball and Ravens kick a field goal early, all of a sudden you get one pick, you get one nice punt return, you get one whatever, and it's 6 nothing, 10 nothing, and you get another stop. And the and all of a sudden, you know, Bengals offense, it's 10-3, it's 6 nothing, 10-3, whatever it is. And then all of a sudden the Ravens can kind of do what they want and, and start to run the ball and control the clock. And by the end of the half, game might be close yeah but the Bengals can look at the scoreboard you know the game could be you know 13 to 10 at halftime the Ravens could be winning whatever and you look at it and you go okay well Bengals only had four possessions and one of them was at the end of the half like the game a game against this type of team can slip away quickly just because of what they're designed to do and I think that that's their that's their path to victory Man, you you know I, I can see why you're saying this game is close, and I understand you you followed the the Ravens much more closely than a lot of people because you used to cover them. But like that's very true. Like 
if all those things you mentioned really do happen, which I don't think is out of the possibility of happening, man, and we'll you'll talk more about this on your prediction Friday, but like that that's the thing about it is I kind of had that feeling in the second half on Sunday when, you know, the Bengals went scoreless seven of eight drives, and I get it, like they were vanilla too. Like I think both offenses, frankly, at least in the second half, were both very vanilla. But at the same time, you know, that defense is pretty good. And, like, we'll talk more about the defense later. But, I mean, Patrick Queen, I don't think it's talked about enough in some circles. You know, Joe Burrow knows about him more than most quarterbacks because they played together at LSU. And they were very, like, competitive with each other. So you can bet that, like, they made each other better in practice. Like, you know, you can read all about that for those who, like, you know, followed LSU and covered them. And so, like, they made each other better. And, like, they've they've met every year they've been in the league because they got drafted this same year. They're both first-round picks. They're both within the AFC North. I think Patrick Queen, like, is one of the best linebackers in the AFC North. And I say this with respect to, like, Devin Bush, Logan Wilson, Jermaine Pratt. Like, he's all over the field. And, like, he's the last person to get, like, a non-tipped interception that wasn't a wide receiver's fault on Joe Burrow. Like, since then, his picks have all been either tipped or just because of bad communication, like we saw in the Patriots game. Roquan Smith, he really makes the game so much better. And I saw that the Ravens just extended him, and I don't blame them for that because, like, that, that's a guy that you should be glad he traded for. Like, I think the Ravens – I don't want to say they got a steal because they know what they were getting, but they got more than their money's worth. So, you know, when you have, like, those guys on the other side of the ball and, you know, you've got the defense that they've got up front, like, I know, you know, their pass rush isn't, like, mind-blowing, but Adafi Owe, Justin Houston, Jason Pierre-Paul, like – those guys can still work, especially when you consider, like, we talked about Monday, you have Max Sharping starting for Alex Kappa, because I did also want to mention, too, I forgot to mention at the top of the show, we will not see Alex Kappa this weekend. Um, Zach Taylor said he's going to be out, so Max Sharping is going to be the guy that is confirmed. Hakeem Adeniji is going to be their guy for the rest of the playoffs at right tackle, so... You know, normally I'd say that's not a front I'm concerned about, but you have to be when you don't have two of your starting right, right position players on the line. So, you know, that's definitely why I think with what you mentioned and then just all the defensive aspects, it can be a closed game. But speaking of defense, I kind of want to go back to the Bengals defense. You know, the one thing that Lou Anderma emphasizes and that we've really seen a lot of since December, if you go back the last month, the Bengals aren't just good at turnovers. They've been one of the best in the league. They have the sixth best turnover differential in the league, which is plus six. They're eighth in takeaways per game, which is three takeaways per game. And they're, or no, I'm sorry, their last three games, they've averaged three takeaways per game. But in the grand scheme of things, they're eighth in the league in takeaways per game. You know, we mentioned guys like Jermaine Pratt. We mentioned guys like Logan Wilson and, you know, Von Bell and Jesse Bates. Like, those are your turnover machines, but. I mean, think about this. I think this is actually one guy that, like, he doesn't get slept on, but he definitely does deserve some praise. And I think that's Trey Flowers, um, especially in that Tampa Bay game, because Mike Hilton didn't play in that game, did he? I don't think he played in that game. I don't. Th- I don't know. I would have to look. Because I know, yeah, Mike Hilton's kind of been bounced around, but um, you know, regardless of whether he's in the game or not, if my memory serves me right or wrong, Trey Flowers had a pick on Tom Brady. You know, most of December, his grades of, on Pro Football Focus were a 90 and two out of his last three games. Like, you know, he only plays in certain packages. He's usually a nickelback that's lined up against the tight end. And here's why that's important. When the Bengals tried to go against Mark Andrews in week five, and 
well, not technically last week because he didn't start, but they would have been the same thing last week as what they did in week five, which was that you have to get creative with him. One thing that Lou Anarumo said is that he's one of the best players in the league. He might not come to mind like a Travis Kelsey, for example, but I think he's still kind of in that upper tier of tight ends, especially since he's been in the league over four or five years now. And so it's different because you don't have Chidobi Awuzie. Chidobi Awuzie, you know, he tackled Kyle Pitts really hard in that Falcons game, which was the game before he tore his ACL against the Browns. But, you know, he can tackle those big tight ends. You know, they use their cornerbacks in a lot of those situations. Like, you're not just relying on your linebackers to play the spy or, you know, rely on Von Bell to get to, you know, someone like that. Like, Trey Flowers is designed in those situations. There was a point where there was a miscommunication that Mark Andrews scored on when they played in week five, and that made the difference because the Bengals lost by, you know, a field goal. But um, you know, I, I think with the way Trey Flowers is playing now, like that's going to be a really interesting matchup with Mark Andrews. And I think he's, his role is going to expand even more in that sense because you don't have Chidobia Wuzier. You know, you, you have Eli Apple and you have Cam taylor Britt, and They're going to be busy, busy all day Sunday. But I do think that like you have to put a lot on the plate of Trey Flowers in that sense with Mark Andrews. So kind of two parts here, like the matchup with Mark Andrews, like if you're going against him, what sticks out to you? And on top of that, why are you confident that the Bengals can show why they're top 10 in the league and, you know, takeaways per game and turnover differential? Well, I mean, the thing that would scare me about Mark Andrews is that he's got kind of an innate ability to get open. Um, I mean, the Ravens don't really throw the ball as much as they did when when Tyler Huntley – or excuse me, when Lamar Jackson was in the lineup as compared to Tyler Huntley. Um, I mean, you kind of look at the splits at the beginning of the year. Uh, you know, he went over a co- 100 yards a couple times. Um, he was getting more than 10 targets a game in the last couple of weeks. Really hasn't done that. I know he's kind of been hurt in some of those matchups. Uh, he got hurt in Tampa Bay. I think it was his shoulder. Um, so he's kind of fought through some stuff this year. Uh, their passing attack is obviously not what it was, but yeah, I, I mean, he is one of the best tight ends in the sport. Um, in when, you know, when he really gets moving and when he gets open, I think, um, you know, the way that he's able to find seams in the middle of the field has always been really impressive to me. Um, you know, he and Lamar Jackson kind of had a, a pretty, pretty unique connection in that way. Um, you know, so, so for me, that, that is going to be the thing that Mark Andrews does so well, because when he gets over the middle, um, it, it really makes it difficult to, to kind of have to focus on him and then also defend the edge. Um, the Ravens, you know, I, I think you could kind of poke holes at what they've built. I think you could kind of say that, oh, they didn't really, they didn't do this correctly, or they didn't do this correctly in terms of roster building. Um, but what they did do was they leaned into it and, you know, they're going to, they're going to try and get the ball to Mark Andrews. Like this is one of those games where if you're going to go down swinging, you're going to go down with Mark Andrews as, as your biggest bat. Um, so that's, that's a problem. Uh, I mean, the thing that would, you know, kind of make me, um, confident if I was the Bengals is that I'm not sure how many guys on that, uh, on that team scare me, um, you know, Mark Andrews, he had eight catches for 89 yards and a touchdown uh, in that first matchup. And I think yeah. they ran some kind of drag. You know, kind of the concern because they didn't have J.K. Dobbins in that game either. Uh, exactly. Me, not uh, not J.K. Dobbins. Uh, they did have J.K. Dobbins. Excuse me. I meant Rashad Bateman. Um, they, didn't they didn't have, have Bateman, they didn't have Bateman, their number one receiver. 
Um, so they're not going to have Bateman, obviously, on Sunday. Uh, their receiving core is still kind of up in the air. So to me, that is that is the, that's the problem of Mark Andrews. But I just don't know how many players in that passing attack truly scare me if I'm if I'm the Bengals defense. And I mean, to your point, like there is some truth to that because like you don't have Chadobia Uzi. Like if you did, I'd say you know, let me push back a, a little bit because I would be honest with you. If Chadobia Uzi did not tear his ACL and end the season, I think he'd be a Pro Bowler. Like, he was the best quarterback in man coverage this season. And I'm not just talking PFF grades. Like, if you just watch the film and you talk to other people, like, you're talking, like, Jalen Ramsey territory. Like, Jalen Ramsey's that elite echelon. Like, you talk about an Aaron Donald, you know, or a Jalen Ramsey who are from the same team. Like, Chadobia Wuzier is not there, per se, but, like, he's getting there. And he's showing why, you know, maybe he was slept on in Dallas and why he kind of flew under the radar until he came to Cincinnati last year, because I think last year he was the best cornerback not named Jalen Ramsey. I think this year would have been the same thing if he didn't get hurt. And I think if you want to use even that sample size of games he played, there's an argument to be made there. But I mean, but but at the same time, like, what do you think of Jesse Bates though and Von Bell? Because like we've talked about the ascension of Von Bell. I know Bates kind of had like an easy pick because Brown just kind of threw a softball to him. But you don't think maybe like Jesse Bates or or Von Bell like are playing better than they did against the Ravens in week five. Cause I think the defense has always been good, but like those two guys, the safeties bell and Bates have really elevated their play since like December. Yeah. Well, I mean, we've, we've kind of talked about this before. I think one of the things that really kind of makes this Bengals defense unique uh, is that you don't have a sauce Gardner, You don't have a Patrick Sertan or Jalen Ramsey or a Patrick Peterson or a Marlon Humphrey or whoever back on the back end. Um, you know, you don't have some of these guys, you know, truly all pro game breaking players. And, and I don't mean that as a diss to Jesse Bates or Von Bell. Um, you know, you can you can kind of look at some of the things that, you know, other top safeties around the league do like a, you know, like a Minka Fitzpatrick in Pittsburgh or a Tyron Matthew in New Orleans um, or an Antoine Winfield in Tampa. You can kind of go down the line and say, like, OK, here's what some of the best safeties in the league do here's what the best corners in the league do like you you know I, I don't know if I would go as far as you did with the Wuzier, but the unique thing to me about the safeties um, since you asked about them specifically is with Vaughn and Jesse they're they're really good in a tandem together um, you know they they can really kind of work off of each other well um, and and they play the system well um you know, they, they do things in, in a manner that kind of allows the entire defense to play well and the entire defense to function well. So um, to me, that's I mean, that's the most impressive part is that, you know, the Bengals defense has kind of showed the flashes that it has. And again, like no disrespect to, to any guys on the defense because they're they're all pretty good. You just don't have that. He's the best player in his position you know, on defense, you, you know, you could make that case with a few of the guys on offense, you can on defense, but their defense has played pretty well so far this season and actually into the, so far this season into the playoffs. Well, on that note, you mentioned defensive players and superstars. When we come back, we're going to kind of look back at the regular season and see who some of the best, if not the best defensive player on the Bengals was or is, and we're going to kind of do some more MVP odds since we are past the regular season. We're going to kind of put a bow on that, but stay with us. We'll have all that on the Strictly Stripes podcast.
Hey, thanks for staying with us on the Strictly Stripes podcast. So, Andrew, if you remember during the bye week, since it was like week nine, right in the middle of the season, being 18 weeks now, you you know, me, you, and Mike did our kind of mid-season awards. So I want to do kind of our regular season awards. We had a defensive regular season MVP among many awards, but, you know, I want to just kind of hone in on that. Like, just jumping to it, through 18 weeks, 18, I'm sorry, 18 weeks, 17 games, who, I know I'm putting on the spot here, but, you know, we talked a lot about, oh, well, there's not really one guy in the Bengals defense that sticks out. But if there's one person that does stick out the most, who's your defensive MVP and why? Oh, that's hard. Um, you know. I got you. you I got, got you twisting your words now. <laughs> you want to say, you want to say Trey Hendrickson um, because he plays an impactful position Um that really kind of makes um, makes a difference, uh, but I think you have to say DJ Reader. Um, you know, Reader became you know one of the better defensive tackles in the league this year. Um, you know, he's he, he, I don't I don't think he put himself in that group with you know Dexter Lawrence and Chris Jones and Aaron Donald and you know Cameron Hayward and everybody. But I think he's you know if he's not right next to that bucket, he's in the second tier. Um, you know, so DJ Reader, I think just what he brings to that defense when he's healthy. I mean, we kind of saw the impact, I, I think, you know, in an ironic kind of way, you, f- you saw how important he was when he wasn't in the lineup. Uh, you lose him in a game in New York, you miss him for a few weeks, a few months, and then he comes back and you can kind of see the boost that he provided, you know, kind of in the locker room, but then also on the field. Um, you know, when you have a guy like that in the middle, it just kind of allows things to to kind of move east and west a little bit more and i think that that you know that obviously helps the defense pretty significantly so yeah it, you know again it's he's a defensive tackle uh it's not really a high position of leverage you know it's not a it's not a corner it's not an edge rusher it's not you know an elite level safety um but i i think dj reader i i i think you have to give it to him because he's in my eyes he's been you know the best defender on the bengals this year I'm actually so glad you mentioned that because, like, I've been talking about this with a lot of people, you know, in different circles, in the media room with reporters and just people that I know follow the Bengals. And, like, DJ Reader, I'm going to say this. Like, if anybody got snubbed from the Pro Bowl more than him, I'd like to meet someone. I I think you can maybe say that, like, Logan Wilson might have gotten snubbed, and I'll get to that, but – he absolutely DJ got snubbed. And I will say this, I get it because he missed six games. Like I understand that. And like let's be real, the Pro Bowl is mostly fan driven, so it's extremely subjective. And I don't think it's a fair measure of talent. I'd rather look at if, you know, if a guy's kind of leading lead category stats or if he made big plays that matter, like you know, like all the tip passes he had since he came back. He had like four tip passes in like not even four games three games from his return. I look at that. I look at the fact that he's so disruptive um, in the run game too. Like you look at Nick Chubb, victim, Derrick Henry, victim. And we'll see what happens with J.K. Dobbins this weekend. Could be another victim on that that list of, uh, I don't know if you want to call him the Grim Reaper, but when it comes to running backs, like I think he kind of is one of the Grim Reapers. And so um, you could go on and on about that guy. But like yeah, at the same I time, like him with all of that. Like, I wouldn't credit him with all of that. I'm not crediting him with all of it, but like, I think it's, I do think it starts I know, but with like him. Tackling, 
Tackling, I think, yeah, I mean, but it starts with, I think, the entire defensive line, though, because, like, tackling Derrick Henry and Nick Chubb, like, that is not a one, like, you can't bring him down with one guy. That's a group effort. It's a group effort. Like, it it took Sam Hubbard. It took everyone else, too. But the disruption starts with him, and that's where, if you're running up the middle, and, like, DJ Reader just jams one hand in, and that slows down Derrick Henry, then that makes it easier for Sam Hubbard or for Joseph Osai or who's lined up on the opposite side of the defensive end. Like, he's not the only guy, and I'm not saying he's the main one. I just think it starts with him, and then it builds from there. And then, like, you look at the Browns game. Like, think about why Logan Wilson has, what, 15 tackles or however much he had. Like, that that was his personal best. No, 19. It was 19 tackles. And Logan Wilson said it best because when you have someone like DJ Reader and BJ Hill too, but like B, you know DJ Reader, it allows him to like not have to buy time. Like it makes it easier for him to just run up there where like you know Derrick Henry or Nick Chubb's not going anywhere. Um, it is a group effort. That's, you know, football is a team sport, but I think you can you can look at situations like that and say it kind of starts with this guy, kind of starts with that guy. You know, I, I'm not going to say Reader's my MVP, though, with the highest utmost respect to him, because I do think that, like, again, he's worthy of an MVP, and I don't blame you for picking him. I really had to think this one through, and I had to give it a lot of thought, but I'm going to give mine to Von Bell, because, you know, when you look at the beginning of the year when the Bengals were a top 10 defense before the bye week, a lot of it was because of him. You know, he picked up where he left off in the playoffs last year. He was, you know, getting interceptions against the Dolphins. He had a pick against the Ravens. He had a pick against um, the Browns even, like, in that losing effort. Like, whether the Bengals are winning or losing, like, he still gave it his all. Like, there wasn't kind of a drop-off from him. And I also think that as the season got better for the Bengals, where they had the eight-game win streak, he got better. You know, you look at what he did against the Patriots. You know, the game-winning play where him and DJ Reader kind of forced that fumble, but Started with Von Bell in this case instead of DJ Reader. Then we look at the Ravens game. He had a pick, and he recovered a fumble that Jesse Bates forced, which goes back to the point that like they work together. One forces the fumble, one recovers, vice versa. Um, I think you know he's a veteran too. He's one of the most experienced players on the defense, like because you know he's been playing since 2016. Reader's been playing since 2016, so there's an argument there. Like I think they're two of the longest tenured players in the defense besides Michael Thomas, who. Granted, he's a backup safety who plays special teams, but besides Michael Thomas, like those two guys are the longest tenured players on the team. So I look at veteran leadership in that regard too. Um, and I think just like you, you look at how he played in, in New Orleans, he, they most use him in the box. They didn't really use him in coverage, which I think was one of the most fatal flaws they had, and they should regret that. Um, with no, no offense to Sean Payne and anyone else on that staff, but um, you know, but you go back to Cincinnati, they use him in the box, they use him in cover two, they use him. In uh, you know, different like kind of disguises like they did against Patrick Mahomes. That's a big reason why he didn't have a good game against them. Um, yeah, I just I really like Von Bell a lot. I think uh, again, I don't know if he's, I don't know like Jesse Bates. There's talk about like, is he going to come back next year? What's he going to get paid? I don't know that you pay him like you pay Jesse Bates, but I also think from a leadership and experience standpoint, he gives himself that edge to where I would make him a regular season MVP. What do you, what do you, I mean, what do you think of, uh, I mean, compared to like DJ Reader and Von Bell, like, I mean, like I said, they're both leaders. They've both been there the same amount of time in the league, at least. And they both came to Cincinnati together, funny enough. So like their trajectory to the Bengals is almost exactly identical, but like, 
in some ways, what do you kind of see in common between DJ Reader and Von Bell from just like a skill standpoint, even though they're different positions? Like, do you kind of look at them and say, like, there's just something that sticks out about both of them? I don't know. That's a hard that's a hard question to answer because you're, you're talking about a safety and, a, you know, what amounts to a nose tackle. Um, but I mean, do you think, impact, like, I think would you, I would think you compare their of, aggressiveness? Like, how about their aggressiveness? Like, I just think for their positions, uh, like, they're some of the most yeah, aggressive. I, I don't know. Um, I don't know if you can make that comp because, again, they, they just – they're asked to do such different things on the field. Um, truthfully, like if I had to pick an MVP in the defensive backfield, I'm picking Jesse Bates. Uh, he was actually probably going to be second on my list. Um, sure. But yeah, I, um, yeah, I, I don't know if you can make, make a comp between those two. I, I just think that they're so different and the things they're asked to do are so different. I, I'm not sure you can do that. Yeah, I think honestly, like if if you gave me Von Bell in his fifth year and you gave me Jesse Bates in his fifth year, I think Bates has the edge. But I think it's just because Bates is he's a little younger, he's a little fresher. Um, you know, Bell's more of like just punch mouth, aggressive safety. Bates has the range, he has the flexibility and the athleticism. Not that Bell doesn't. I just think you see that hallmark trait from Bates when it comes to that. I do agree with you on that and that's why like this is a hard one because like Bates was probably after Bell like no I'd say this at first it was it was Bell in my order Bell Rear Bates and probably I'd say after that you know either Trey Hendrickson or Logan Wilson I probably would say Hendrickson then Wilson but yeah I mean that's kind of where my list was but like you can't go wrong either way like I, I know that you mentioned there's no elite guys on this defense and that's where I think you know you could say yeah they're they're not like an elite defense I think Lou Anarumo is an elite coordinator. I think he's a genius, but as far as like the players, yeah, I don't know if there's any elite guys, but I also think that like, there's a level of respect that should come from that because what does it say that you don't have an Aaron Donald or a Minka Fitzpatrick or a um, Jair Alexander or any of these guys that are getting paid because they're really good. Like you don't have those guys, but just the, the games and their performances and the moments that might not stick out to some people should because like there's a reason why they won eight straight. It's not just because you're letting Joe Burrow cook and you have Jamar Chase at D Higgins. It's because you got guys on the other side of that who gave some of those guys, like I mentioned, Mahomes, Henry, Chubb, some of their worst games of the year. Matter of fact, going back to Lamar Jackson, since we're talking about the Ravens, like I know Jackson had that game winning drive, which is the one drive that they all regret the most. But up until that drive in week five, they played really good. Like, if they lost, if the Ravens lost that game, that's one of the Bengals' best performances of the year. Like, you just contained an MVP quarterback to one of his, like, least memorable games up to that point in the year. I know he's had some not-so-good games since then, but I think something is to be said there, and that's why, like, you can make the arguments like we made on Monday for Lou Anaromo being a, you know, potential head coach in the future. So lots to look at. I know that's a lot of off-season talk, but, and I want to see what happens with Bates and his contract because they had to, tag him in the offseason but speaking of MVP let's talk about the real MVP the regular season's over so the picks are pretty much locked in at this point but here here's the odds that we have for latest MVP ranks Patrick Mahomes minus 1600 is the front runner and I'd say the favorite according to most people and I don't disagree with that Joe Burrow second plus 900 he climbed all the way from fifth or sixth during most of the year to second uh, Jalen Hurts plus fifteen hundred, 
obviously he was the front runner when Mahomes wasn't, but he got hurt most of the month of December, so that hurt his chances. And then Josh Allen, who was the preseason favorite, kind of hung around. He's tied with Jalen Hurts at fourth at plus 1,500. So you have it laid out. Mahomes, Burrow, Hurts, Allen. Like Those are your four guys. One of them is going to win it. We know Mahomes is the favorite. I don't think anyone's going to disagree with that. But is there a chance for Burrow? Do you give him a shot of winning this thing? Or should we just say, it's over, it's done, Mr. Mahomes, here's your second MVP award? Yeah, it, I, I mean, I think Mahomes has pretty well locked this thing up. Um, you know, Vegas is rarely wrong, uh, and they've got pretty significant odds on, you know, on Mahomes winning. So um, I think I think it's 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 Mahomes number one. Um, to be completely honest, uh, if I was um, kind of ranking them right now, I, you know, I have the odds up in front of me. I would put Jalen Hurts second um, ahead of Burrow. Uh, if and, and honestly, like it, if I had to be real with it, I, I think Mahomes and Hertz are much closer than these, you know, these Vegas lines would indicate. Um, it, I, it would be a serious debate for me. I, I would lean Mahomes, but um, you know, I, I don't want to take away anything that that Jalen Hurts has done. So uh, I lean, I lean Hertz, um, or excuse me, Mahomes, but Hertz is right there, and then Burrow's third for me. That's what I was thinking too. I do want to say that, but uh, I'm just torn because on the one hand, like, yeah, it sucks for Jalen Hurts that he got hurt. And like, we'll have to see how healthy he is when the Eagles play their, you know, division round game because they have the bye in the NFC. But I don't know. I just really think like, th- this is where I'm kind of torn. Obviously the DeMar Hammond situation threw off the seating in the AFC and the Bengals weren't going to get the no- number one seed regardless. Had they beaten Buffalo, like if none of that stuff ever happened with the cancellation, even if they beat them, it wouldn't have mattered because the Chiefs won on Saturday. But they would have got the two seed. If they had beaten Buffalo and beaten Baltimore the way they did, they'd be the number two seed. Most quarterbacks are the one or the two. Clearly, Mahomes is the number one. Burrow, in this you know scenario I'm painting, would be the number two. I think if the Bills game, and again, this is not to take away from that situation by no means, but like if we lived in a fantasy where on Monday didn't happen and Burrow like kept playing the way he started that game before the game was canceled, I still don't know that he beats out Mahomes. Like I, I honestly do think that like Vegas is pretty spot on for this, and as much as Burrow outdueled him, I don't think he outdueled him in the regular season enough in the grand scheme of things, but. I do think you can make an argument that Burrow's second. I just don't think it's a sufficient argument. I think it's an incomplete argument because, like you said, like we don't know how that game was going to go. I think it'd be interesting to see what happens if the Bills play the Bengals in the second round. If you know the, the Bills and Bengals, neither of them get upset, like they're going to rematch each other in Buffalo in over a week. So that would be interesting to see like how much that completes that argument, even though it's null and void because the regular season's over. But I do think. Your order's right. I just think there could have been a possibility of Joe Burrow being second. Sure. Um, but, I mean, what is second but first loser? Exactly. And, but, you know, like Burrow said himself, like, he'd rather be in the team hotel getting ready for the Super Bowl than being at the NFL Honors because, like, you know, last year he was in the hotel in Los Angeles, not at the NFL Honors. So he wants to be at that hotel and uh, I guess it'd be in Glendale, Arizona this year. He doesn't want to be on that stage. And even if he is – 
Um, even if he does get that award, he'd rather get it from his hotel, like, you know, when he got his comeback player of the year award. So that's Joe Burrow. And I think most players would say the same thing. Like, if you want that Super Bowl over the MVP, like, that's sufficient. Like, like if you're Lamar Jackson, for example, since we're talking about him and him being healthy or not being healthy, like, you know, if you ask him, do you want to win MVP? Do you want to win a gold jacket? Or do you want to win a Super Bowl? The first thing he's going to say is a Super Bowl. That's the first thing that Joe Burrow's going to say. And I think even today... Tom Brady being the GOAT of GOATs he is, he's going to say Super Bowl. I mean, he's going to get a gold jacket. He knows that. He's already won MVP. But, like, even if he didn't have an MVP at this point, and even though he knows he's a Hall of Fame inductee on the first ballot, you know, the guy still wants to win that Super Bowl because it's all about championships. So, But you know what, though? We'll say this. Um, whether he gets second or third, probably ends up getting third. I guarantee you – no matter how the Bengals finish this year, he he could be a preseason favorite next year. I, I would not be shocked. And if he's not a preseason favorite, he, he's going to be a top three favorite. So I'd like to see how that goes. It'll be interesting to play out. But, man, long podcast. But when you're in the playoffs, there's so much to talk about. And we're going to have so much more to talk about tomorrow when Mike joins us as we talk more about that Ravens defense, why Joe Burrow can't look or play vanilla like he did in the second half on Sunday. So make sure you tune in for that. And if you haven't already signed up for Cincinnati Football Insider, it's a 14-day free trial. You will not be charged until the end of the trial. It's $4.99 a month. Go to cleveland.com slash bangles to sign up. Easier than sliced bread. Once again, for myself and Andrew Gillis, I'm Muhammad Ahmad. Have a great night. See you back next.